Welcome to Headset, the podcast that examines the unique mental skill sets of elite athletes, performers, and executives. It is our goal to discover the various skill sets that these individuals use to get their heads set to perform. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Headset Podcast. This is episode eight, and we are bringing to you today another incredible athlete from Team Wildlife Generation, a professional cyclist who grew up in a professional environment. And what do I mean by that? This young man, like many of our incredible athletes that we have a chance to speak with, was a multiversed athlete at a young age who could have easily become a world-class downhill skier. Yeah, what you're going to find out today is this incredible man, Mr. Colby Lang, is a gentleman who grew up in a world-class athletic family whose father is a world-class downhill ski instructor. He's a coach of some of the greatest downhill skiers in the United States and introduced his son to an incredible environment with incredible people who just taught him how to be a pro at a very young age. He's a young man who's very soft-spoken, very humble, and he's somebody who, when he speaks, big words come out, and you can just feel the intensity, you can feel the humbleness, and you can feel the insight that this young man truly embodies as an athlete and as a human being. He's truly a pro on the bike and off the bike. But what's so incredible about this young man is his outlook on life, his outlook on competition, and his outlook on what it takes to be a pro and how to handle the stress that comes with competition. He's a guy who definitely has a very old soul, and uh, he's someone that I greatly enjoyed speaking with, and uh, I'm sure you will enjoy hearing everything that he has to say with us. So without any further ado, I bring to you the one and only Colby Lang. Okay, everybody, we're here with another rock star. Um, guy could be easily a stunt double for Tom Cruise, in my opinion. The man is 19 years old, and he's a pro athlete hailing from Edwards, Colorado. Um, I just got to give him a quick shout out. Early pre-birthday, happy birthday to the one and only Colby Lang. Thank you for coming to talk with me today on the Headset Podcast. You're the man. So happy pre-birthday, a week in advance. <laughs> in case right. I I'm glad. I'm glad you noticed that. Thanks for having me on. I'm excited. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, so I'm, I'm doing research. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to find out a little bit about the boys besides uh, what's going on uh, between the ears. And, and I got to tell you, um, we've got a little thing that's going to be planned pretty soon that you are going to be a part of where once I get through all of you monkeys on this year's team, there's been, uh, I guess, a, an idea that's been thrown out there, buddy, where we're going to try and get all the boys together on this at one time. So, okay. We're, I'm going to have to put a, a whipping chair <laughs> to get prepared for this um, because it, it, it could be dangerous. 
<laughs> with the characters that you Yeah, like. I'll tell you right now, it's going to be mayhem. There's <laughs> no doubt about it. Absolute mayhem. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. So, so just before we got cooking here, um, you're telling me you're back home. You're, you're back in Colorado. And you're getting snow now, eh? Yep. Getting a ton of snow, actually. Uh, which is kind of novel in some sense because... You know, growing up in the mountains, snow always has a soft spot in my heart, but uh, it certainly makes it hard to ride, that's for sure. <laughs> I guess it's got to suck, I, I, to put it nicely. But but I guess you have incredible training uh, environment out there, right, with the altitude and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's pretty funny. I didn't know how good of an area I lived in to ride until I started traveling, and I'm getting all these opportunities to ride around the world. And a lot of times I'm like, wow, like Vail's way better than this. But um, no, I live in a great place. And like you said, the altitude, that actually plays a big factor in sort of how I approach my training. Uh, the roads are really sweet. And in general, Colorado, talk about a sunny place to live. So yeah, uh, yeah, I'm fortunate. So, so my geography is brutal. Like I... I couldn't give you directions from my front door to the garage. Um, explain to me where Vail is besides knowing the mystique of Vail. W- where is Vail in comparison to where you live now? Is it a sh- short drive away, short ride away? How, how close is Vail to you? Okay, so I live in Edwards, which is 20 minutes down I-70 west of Vail. Um, and in broader terms, Vail is about two hours west of Denver, straight down I-70. And so if you landed at DIA airport, you hopped on I-70 and drove straight for an hour and a half, you'd go right by my house. Okay. Okay. So two and a half hours, not an hour and a half, two and a half hours. Two and a half hours. I don't know what I just said. So, (laughs) so, so from your place, if I'm, if I'm with you at your place to get to Vail would be how long? Uh, 20 minutes. It, 20, I mean, Vail is actually a long place, right? It's a valley. And so yeah. from end to end, it actually takes a while. But you could get to West Vail probably within 15 minutes. Oh, my God. That's incredible. Okay. Okay. So, again, every time we get together, you're educating me, not just on you, but but you as an athlete, but, but you as a person. And, and one of the things that I love about my opportunity to get to hang out with you guys now and then throughout the year, but even do something like this is, I mean, you guys are so amazing at peeling back the carpet and sharing with me things that are going on uh, in that underground floorboard uh, of your life. And, and I never would have known that you grew up in such an amazing athletic family that, that is like, wow. So you shared with me a few minutes ago, um, some, some insight on your dad. Can, can you, Share with our listeners some stuff about your, your father. Yeah, so I had the sort of, I'm fortunate enough to say that I've grown up in a super professional setting since the time I was a little kid. My dad has been an alpine ski coach for 30 plus years for sure, and working with actually some of the athletes in the world at points. And so he's worked with people that have been on Olympic podiums, world championship podiums, and 
So through that, since the time I was little, 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 I got to see what the best guys in alpine ski racing were doing. And that doesn't mean like how they were skiing, but how they're going about their life, you know? And so literally having people like, I don't know if any of the listeners would be familiar with the names Bodie Miller or Darren Rawls staying in my house mm. and seeing what they eat, how they approach their stretching, you know, like how everything they do goes into the performance on the hill. And so from the time I was little, I was infatuated with being a professional athlete in the sense of doing what it takes to be a professional athlete. And uh, I fell in love with it and got to live in that environment since the time I was 10. And I'm super, super fortunate that I'm still in an environment like that but just on two wheels and in a little warmer climate. <laughs> so I, I got to tell you, buddy, I, I'm, I'm just absolutely, I'm, I'm constantly taken back by people like yourself who are able to um, kind of experience greatness like that and, and make it work for themselves. And, you know, when you bring up a name like Bodie Miller, oh, my God, I remember as a kid watching that guy just absolutely shred it. And um, unfortunately for, for him, as you know, a lot of the recent um, press and media that, that he and his family have received are from unfortunate circumstances where I believe not so long ago um, his family lost a child to uh, an accidental drowning. Um, but But his career as an athlete is one of the best of all time from what I understand in, in US Alpine skiing and and to think your dad was a part of that that's that's incredible incredible so let me totally. ask let me ask you this did you grow up like going to the slopes with dad and, and, and being around these guys going Mach 5 was, was that is that what it was yeah like? yeah pretty much so uh when I was in elementary school I was more of a fan, right? And um, one of the World Cup stops is in Beaver Creek, which is literally a five-minute drive from my house. And so that was always the highlight of my year. Um, all the athletes coming and getting to watch and like a few times they'd come to my school and stuff and that was super fun. Uh, but from when I started racing and taking it seriously, uh, I was literally getting to travel around the world with my dad in my dad's pocket uh, as he worked with his, his athletes. So um, I was going to Chile in the summer. I was going to New Zealand. I was going to all over Europe, like super cool places, Zermatt, which is where the Matterhorn is, skiing in Italy and all these places, skiing inside in Germany and getting to do training, certainly, but more just getting to watch these guys work, right? And so as I sort of progressed in my career and got older and older and older and more capable, then eventually I found a spot where I was competing against my dad's athletes and on the same circuit and at a similar level. And uh, it was pretty cool. <laughs> um, and it developed a special relationship, certainly. I was spending so much time with my dad and, like I said, traveling the world having a father-son relationship, but also a coach-athlete relationship, which is a balance that I actually really enjoy. And um, it's, been, it's been a really cool journey, to say the least. Oh, my God. So 
how how did you end up steering away from the hill to the, the bike? How, how how did that happen? Well, I was always riding to mostly just to train for skiing, and so a few months of the year normally I would be home. After the ski season, I'd be home April to June and then another month in the fall when there is no snow. And during those months, I would be training on the bike and really enjoyed it and took it seriously when I was doing it. Like I, I dabbled in racing and would try my best and would train properly on the bike. Um, but it was certainly a secondhand thing. It wasn't my focus. I always identified as a skier. But then... Uh, as that sort of went along, eventually I got an opportunity to go to nationals just because of a little schedule change and did really well there and was sort of inspired to see if I could try and race in Europe at some point. Um, it didn't end up working out, but then from that, it was actually the biggest blessing because it's my dad's idea to be like, hey, well, uh, if if you still want to stay in cycling, it might be fun to try track cycling on the velodrome. And like his idea was all oh, shorter efforts, more explosive, and then just a cool new thing to try and also just a general way to stay involved in cycling. Tried that, really, really enjoyed it. Actually fell in love from the first pedal stroke and then ended up getting noticed via track cycling uh, got invited to a USA cycling camp, and then doors really, really started to open. I spent a summer racing with the Lux Junior team, who I also have to really thank for my cycling career existing in the first place. And after a few months of that, it was it was signed, sealed, and delivered. I knew I wanted to be a cyclist, and I had opportunities, and I jumped at them. Wow. You know, it, it would be interesting to almost do the Truman Show with you, and I'm sure you've seen that movie, The Truman Show, with with um, the theme being that that the whole world is watching this this young baby grow up into a young man, and he has no uh-huh. he's on a a TV show, right? And 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 I yeah, bring yeah. that up because I I got to tell you, buddy. You growing up in such an environment it would be so amazing to just sit back and watch like it's a TV series because the evolution of you as, as an athlete, as, as even a person, would be so amazing to watch grow and develop because, you know, I, I constantly ask this question when, when I'm around athletes, you know, what their thoughts are and opinions are of, of athletes who progress in a career athletically that their parent has also been a part of. And, and it, what I get back is like, you know, when I ask things such as, you know, why do you think that guy made it? Why do you think that guy made it? And, and, and I'll get responses like, well, because his dad paved the way. And his dad was a great player, or his dad was a Hall of Famer, or his dad, blah, 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 right? So the guy had a, a leg up on things. But they, they never seem to think that something like that 
could work against the athlete. Because for as easy as it is to say that, you know, that guy made it because his dad was good, the opposite could also be true. And, and, you know, that guy didn't make it because his dad was an asshole. Or his dad, you know, didn't have the best name. But the one thing that they miss with all of that is that athlete just knows what it takes day to day to be a pro. And, and you know, I, I can tell you this, one of the, the, the common themes that happens with uh, working with young athletes, young teams, and, and, and your team specifically, is it's interesting to see uh, your coaching staff between Maddie Rice and, and Danny Van Out talk each year about, you know, we need to teach these young guys how to be pros. You've had that your entire life. You, you've just known what it's like to be a pro. And, and I guess in saying all this, do you even notice that about yourself when you see other peers you're competing against and, and, and you know, befriending and, and teaming up with? Do you, you notice the differences in yourself compared to the young pro coming into pro? Have you ever seen a difference? Yeah, I, I guess it's hard not to sort of compare yourself to the people you're surrounded with right and so uh early in my cycling career I was uh like I said with Lux and at that point pretty much everyone I was around knew more or at least I thought knew more about cycling than I did and so I was sort of in a situation where I was caught being pretty much like any habit good or bad (laughs) and from that learned a lot about what it took and learned that a lot of what a lot of guys are doing is in my opinion detrimental um i was quickly moved from that program into the usa track team and there i was surrounded by guys a lot older than me um, most of them were married. So, you know, like actual human beings, it seemed like, right. uh, and I was exposed to really, really high professionalism again. And, uh, in that scenario, I, I'm, I'm just one of many, you know, like I think most of the guys at the highest level are doing what it takes, you know, they're crossing their so to speak and then sometimes going to races domestically or say the national level races like Gila or something mm-hmm. it is sometimes glaring to see sort of habits that guys might have that uh, are certainly not helping them if not putting them in the wrong direction yeah yeah it, it, it's interesting, you know, like um, what you bring up in terms of, of being around that older environment as an athlete. Um, I, I had a very, very, very small stint um, being around uh, professional hockey. And I remember the first time that uh, I, I was involved with a, a team 
or as an athlete, you're thinking that, you know, the, the scenario is going to be one thing, like, you know, uh, it's going to be just like it was in college or just like it was, you know, in, in juniors going through the ranks. And then all of a sudden you're on a team where three quarters of the team is, is married and you go, yeah. <laughs> you go to dinner and there's like, you know, four tables kind of thing. There's the, the table where it's all the married guys. There's the table where it's the guys who don't really like to socialize because, you know, they're in their zone. There's the table where it's the guys who might not speak English all that well. And then there's the single table. And, and <laughs> it's, it's kind of like the weird family dynamic um, when you're going over for uh, the Italian dinner on, the, on the, the holidays. You know, there's the adult table and there's the kids table. And, and in my family, there was the adult table, the kids table, and basically it was called Alcatraz, the table for all the little bastards in the family, which I, I tended to get sent to quite often. Uh, don't know why, but <laughs> so, so it's interesting to hear you talk because I, I, I can totally relate to those, you know, weird growing experiences, be it so minor, but yet so influencing at the same time, right? Being around the married guys. It's interesting. Yeah. No, totally. And it is actually something I've done a lot, right? So when I was younger with my dad's athletes, they were always 10 plus years older than I was. Um, and then once I was on the track team, there was guys that were over 10 years older than me. And so uh, I think I feel fortunate that I was put in those situations because I do feel like I was able to sort of grow up and develop sort of mature habits in all facets of life. In fact, I think the most valuable thing about being in those settings is just general life advice that they help you with and sort of how to navigate this wild world we live in in a human level more than an athletic level more than anything. So uh, I think I, I hope that it's something that people can sort of value and seek because it was super valuable in, or it is super valuable in my career and I know I wouldn't be in the place I am today without that situation. It, it, it's so interesting what you're saying right now um, that, that, that almost taboo topic when you're a young pro and, and that's the balance of life, right? Like that, that you're, you're not just the guy on the bike. You're not just the guy on, on a set of skis. You're more than that, right? Like, like at some point in time, you take your kid off, you get off your bike, whatever it may be. And, and, there's the other real you. And, and we, I noticed that, that there's a lot of athletes that have a hard time with that creation of that balance uh, in the beginning and especially at the end of their career. Um, maybe, maybe you can give, me, give us some, some like insight as to some of the things that you, you learned as, as a young person growing up around these pros. Like, what were some of the things that, that you, you got to experience and, and pick up on when you talk about the balance of life that these people were, were sharing with you? Well, uh, 
I'd say the thing that comes to mind first, and it's not so much that anyone shared with me, but that these world champions on the track are also human beings. (laughs) And, And just like you said, like they take their kid off and then there they are a real person um, and they have issues like they have uh, they have normal people problems and they struggle with normal people things. Um, and so that sort of humanizes them to a young athlete. And then if you think about it long enough, eventually you'll realize, well, actually, every single person that I'm competing against, regardless of if they're a world champion or not, also is a human. <laughs> Yeah. And so, <laughs> yeah. Uh, once you make that realization, it's it sort of, I, I don't know, it's something that actually helped me with race anxiety and realizing that um, no matter how accomplished someone is, they're experiencing the same things and going, traveling through the same sort of mindsets that you're traveling through. And like, they probably battled through the same things that you did at one point. Um, and so that kind of, gives you like a sense of almost community (laughs) even though you're not necessarily you don't even know these people but uh and then as far as lessons it's hard to just think of like one thing that someone said or someone demonstrated to me that sticks with me forever but um it's certainly it's certainly something we do and it's something that matters and it's really really cool to try your hardest and to pursue something with every ounce of effort that you can muster up but it's also a game we play and that's where it stops right so um at least in the capacity that i do it i'm not at the level where i have influence to save lives or something like that and so um there's far more important things in the world actually and so it puts things in perspective and i think that frees you up to enjoy it and then once you're enjoying it that's when you're going to perform your best in my opinion i buddy you you should do infomercials like (laughs) that was so poetic what you said you know i i I gotta say to you one of one of the things that just gave me goosebumps um, is hearing you discuss the fact that, that, you know, they're real people like these ooh la 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 athletes that we see on TV that we go and watch live and, and pay premium ticket price for at the end of the day, they're people with real people problems as well. And, and what I think is so amazing about these early on experiences that you had is that in seeing that, understanding that and being able to embrace that, you may have had the opportunity to bunny hop all of the BS that a lot of athletes who are, are striving for you know, elite level competition and success would probably run straight into. And, and, and I think that a lot of times it stems from the misbelief that to be a pro means you're perfect. And, and, and to be a pro, it means that, you know, you borderline don't go to the bathroom because you're just perfect. <laughs> right. And, and 
to be able to understand and experience and, and, and realize that, you know what? Pros have bad days too. Pros have days that are rough and they come back from training and say, you know what? I, I just, I didn't have it today, but that's okay. Cause I'm going to make up for it. And I'm not going to let that deter all of the other things I need to do to be successful again tomorrow. And, and it's, it's, I think it's such a valuable experience to be able to see pros, elite athletes have off days as well. And, and, and know that it, that's okay. We're just going to get back to the grind tomorrow and it's not going to deter me. I, I just, I, I can't believe, I, I wish I could, could, could get an idea of how powerful of an experience that is and, and, and how, yeah. No, again, I I say the word fortunate a lot, but uh, that's because that's how I feel. (laughs) Um, It is something special, especially in a sense when I was really raw and new coming into cycling and didn't really know what I was doing and like seeming to have these problems and perhaps feeling on an island and then watching a Chloe Digert or a Jen Valente fresh off a world championship uh, have an awful day in training. But then also, like you're saying, everyone's different, right? They're people and they have their idiosyncrasies and um, ways that they go about things. But there's certainly a lot that the very best have in common when it comes to getting stuff done and how they approach stuff and sort of this eye of the tiger drive and uh i don't know it's inspiring to be around and i think it rubs off yeah no i i i totally agree with you i I totally agree with you so let me ask you this now you've had a couple of incredible years um in 2018 2019 with some incredible finishes you're now going into, would this be your third season as a pro? Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. So it will be, I'll have ridden three full years in May. Um, Wow. And so this is my second year as a professional on the road. And before that I was racing on the world cup, uh, on, on the track. Um, And so, I didn't technically have like a pro license or anything, but um, I, I was competing at a very high level. So, so I, I kind of asked that question to, to, to tee this up and it's to kind of bring in all the things we've been talking about so far with the, all the experiences you've had in, in seeing how these other athletes cook their sauce meaning, you know, the, the way that they prepare in a, in a training environment, the way that they, they train, the way that they look at competition and, and the way that they prepare themselves mentally, even emotionally, have you come up with a secret sauce for, you know, your recipe for success mentally and emotionally when you're getting ready to go to a race? Uh, I, I, I have a mindset or a sort of space that if I can exist in, I am really likely to do well, it seems like. And so 
I kind of discovered this in New Zealand on a really long trip with the track team. Uh, we were going to race two World Cups and the World Championships all in one trip. It was over two months long. It was a big haul. And going into the trip, I was riding the best I ever had. Uh, I was super confident. I had prepared well. I sort of checked all the boxes in my own eyes and like, you know, like really breathing fire ready to compete. And I show up at the event. We were there pretty early, two weeks early. And just every day in training, it felt like I was pedaling through sand and I just got worse and worse and worse and worse to the point where I had gone from the best I'd ever been weeks prior to not making the team. So I didn't get to ride in New Zealand uh, because my performance had slipped so far, really. And even that, like, it's not like you get cut from the team or anything. Like they're, they're trying to support you and they know that they can help you and that you'll be back. But in that, I'm now like off the roster for this first race of the trip and laying on a massage table in New Zealand looking out the window over this like really nice river with cool trees and literally tons of birds that I've never seen before, all different colors. There's sheep walking around. Uh, like I cannot, I can't, words can't do justice. It's just like so picturesque. And I'm sitting in this beautiful spot getting a massage and I'm just miserable. <laughs> like could not be more unhappy. And it got, it, it spiraled over a few days and it got to the point where eventually I'm just laughing at myself, right? Like I'm in the coolest thing, place in the world at like this really awesome event, something I'd strive for. And I'm just pissed. You know what I mean? Right. So did not want to be there, not happy. Uh, and so you kind of start to unpack that. And eventually I was like, oh, okay, well, what, what's going to value? validate this experience for me like what will have made all this hard work worth it and pretty quickly you realize like well the time next to our nation's name at the end of this won't really have justified it the number next to it right like if it says a one or a 12 or a six like that's not really gonna justify it and at the time, the whole point of the program was to go to the Olympics and going to the Olympics wasn't actually going to justify all this hard work, right? It wasn't going to validate it for me. And so you start to realize, well, like the cool part about this is the hard work and like doing everything you can to be the best at your discipline and taking this journey with in our case six seven eight guys working so hard to be so good at this really specific thing is ultra cool right and the dedication and drive that it takes to do that is really cool and then the relationships that you develop from that is something that you actually get to take with you for the rest of your life right like that's something that will probably mean more to you at the end of this than the number or being able to say that you're an Olympian. 
And in realizing that on this massage table, <laughs> all of a sudden it's like this massive weight off your shoulders, you know? And so eventually you start to take the start line of this ultra high pressure event and you don't feel any pressure because the result of it won't be the cool thing. You know what I mean? It'll be really fun if you nail it and have a good ride. Like it's exhilarating. But if the time's bad at the end of it, then like the sun came up the next day. It was crazy. And so uh, I realized that. And when I'm able to exist in that headspace of realizing that the result isn't going to validate it and everything I've already done and the relationships I'm making is what's going to make this special for me, then that's where I feel free to fly, so to speak. Um, and I, I don't know, I, I, it's probably different for everyone. There's different levels of sort of uh, intensity that people take. But I think when, in general, on the national team, when we were freed up from expectation and just allowed to experience this incredible thing in this amazing journey we're on, that's when it was really special to be a part of. And that's when we rode our fastest as well. I, you, you're going to make me cry over here. I'm just going to right I'm, I'm going through Kleenex and you're a jerk. I'm, I'm going to start using the sleeve pretty soon. So I'm so happy we're not doing video on this. Um, the, the reality of it is I'm just blown away with what you're saying because it, it's literally like listening to a poet share a masterpiece it's like uh, incredible artists saying ta-da because I, I couldn't agree with you more on so many of the things that you're sharing right now like some of the big things that come to my mind just hearing you speak rest in, in, in as, a, as a pure athlete at heart there's nothing that's more powerful and meaningful than, than that locker room. And, and the one common thing that you find in every athlete, every sport, especially with, with teams of any sort is when they talk uh, about the season or they're asked about the season, they're asked about the experiences, the memories, what is the one thing that you'll miss when it's all said and done every single athlete brings up the same point and it's the team. It's, it's the, the experiences and the relationships that I made along the way. I, I, I miss the team, but, but to also then hear you talk in such a Buddha esque way, like it, it's the, the release of expectation that allows me to find my flow and go buddy. That is, that's upper level. That's upper level shit. <laughs> That's like, <laughs> drop the mic, get off the stage stuff. Um, I don't even know, like, wow. I, I, I'm giving you a long distance hug right now. So like, if you're feeling warm and hug, <laughs> I'm giving you a long distance hug. Like, do the Kanye West, buddy. Drop the mic and just walk off the stage. <laughs> That's awesome. You know? So, yeah, so, I appreciate it. So let, let me, let me ask you this now. Do do you take all of those amazing points of insight that you have, put it in a blender and then drink it before every race. It, it, like, is that what you do to get yourself ready to go out and do the do? Like, are you releasing yeah. expectations when you're doing the do? Yeah. Well, 
when you when you put in the blender, I always find that like almond milk is a key ingredient in that as well. Um, perhaps oatmeal, like to get those carbs before an intense race. But actually, yeah, it's I was another thing I was going to mention is it's hard to exist in that mindset all the time, right? Oh yeah. Um, and when you have it, you have it, and you're clicked in, and it's great. And sport is something that's so validating in that. But then, as easy as it comes, uh, sometimes it goes, and I've had to learn to be patient with that and work my hardest to get back to that headspace. But yeah, it's not a given thing, and it's not something that is a guarantee, but the further I go down this path, the more consistently I can be in that mindset, uh, the more sort of that I can live it, uh, the better I feel and the more it becomes something that I can, you can't quote possess it, but be amongst all the time, you know? Well, when I hear you you sharing this stuff, not to get you know too mushy mushy, but what goes through my mind is is the person who's able to captain the ship during the most vicious storms. Like I'm 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 always flabbergasted when I hear things like, you know, the the storm was so rough, we were getting tossed around, but yet the key to it surviving it all is to steer the ship into the wave. Um, you know, you know I, I was talking to uh, a gentleman uh, not too long ago who uh, retired from the Navy as a captain. And he talks about um, being at the helm in the, the Indian Ocean. And he's at the top of the ship and it's a destroyer. I, I couldn't even tell you how tall or how high that is from sea level. But the waves were between 30 and 50 feet above the podium which he's driving the ship so I, I couldn't even tell you how many hundreds of feet up in the air that is that no matter how high up in the sky you look up all you see is a swell you can't even see the sky anymore like the sky is gone right and the thing to remain focused upon is we're just going to steer into the wave and we're going to take the power of the moment and use it against the moment. So, so when I hear you talk and talk about the mindset of what you use in terms of the mental preparation and the emotional focus and the way that you're going to take on this, this weight of a situation, a moment, an experience, a race, whatever it may be, you speak in a way where it's almost like you're using the power of the moment to not come crashing down on you, but to propel you forward. And, and you know, a, another analogy that, that, that sounds similar to the way you describe things, it's like finding that sense of calm when you're, when you're inside the tornado. Rather than being thrown around in the tornado, you're just in it. And everything else is spinning around out of control around you. But you're good. You're okay. And, and to live in that space, that, that's beyond a talent. That's beyond a talent. That's like, I don't, I don't know what that is. That's like a superpower. You're like Superman. <laughs> Superman of control. And, and yeah. I, I don't know. 
I I would say that the moments in my career that have felt most important are when there is a crisis, so to speak, uh, within the team. And I, I don't mean like uh, like someone's not riding well or something, but when you have a group of guys who all love each other and are like working really hard for the same goal and, and there's a lot of passion and a lot of drive involved, but for whatever reason, something's not right or something goes wrong or, uh, yeah, there's just something off. Mm -hmm. The opportunity to sort of try and be a calming force and like be a force for the good is what seems the most important to me. Like those relationships and creating an environment like that is positive, you know what I mean? Um, And so, yeah, that's kind of what it comes back to. And it's easy to remember in those situations that what you're doing is bigger than sport and, uh, but it's not bigger than the relationships you're creating. And so when you have the opportunity, sort of, so to speak, to be a part of healing and to be a part of love and to be a part of like collaboration and community. That's when what you've done the last few years is really, really cool. If that makes sense. Yeah, totally. Um, and so, yeah, I think, I think those massive waves are often a big opportunity and uh, they're scary and it's not something I've navigated super well every time, but it's something that as I grow and look to try and become a leader of positive cultures, it's something I, I really focus on and love the opportunity to be a part of. I, buddy, I, I mean, I swear to God, you, you had me at hello today. Like this, this is this is like great stuff that you're sharing, that so many people can learn from. But you know, to, to just touch base on just two points that you're you're indicating here, on your your last statement. I mean, the reality of it is, whenever you're navigating through stormy waters, it's, it's just natural and and obvious to to know you're gonna get wet. Right. So like, it's not to say that you're going to be able to go into any of these scenarios where, where things are tough and the waters are rough and emotions are flying and um, all different fears are flying around the room on a team. It's to know that, that we're going to get wet, meaning things are going to hit us. It might not feel good at first, but we're going to get through it because we're going to dry off. <laughs> it's going to be fine. And, and what I think when I hear you talk about the importance of staying calm and cool during those tough times is to know that, you know, one of the worst things that could ever happen when you're on that, that vessel in the middle of the ocean is to experience a fire. If you talk to any naval commander, captain, uh, person who's, who's running a ship, they'll tell you that the scariest thing that could ever happen to you in the middle of the ocean is not the ocean itself it's what we do internally on the vessel and heaven forbid we create a fire because we're stuck out there 
There is no 911. There is no fire truck that's going to show up in the middle of the ocean. It's us. We are the ones that, that most likely created that fire. Can we stay calm, cool, collective to now put it out? And, and hearing you speak, I, I, I'm going to refer to you as chief from now on because you should be racing with <laughs> a, a fireman hat on. <laughs> You're the chief. <laughs> That's what I think. Um, you know, I, I, listen, I, I can't thank you enough for sharing the, these incredible, incredible ingredients. That they're more than nuggets. But these are ingredients that every secret sauce is comprised of. And and I just I can't thank you enough, buddy, for for taking the time to share this stuff with me and the people who are going to be listening. You're, you're awesome. Uh, well, I appreciate that, and I actually I really appreciate the opportunity to talk about this stuff. I think it's. Like I said, I think it's the coolest part about what I do. And I, I, I want to make it clear, like, I don't feel like I've mastered the game, so to speak. You know what I mean? I'm not a sensei uh, who is able to navigate every wave perfectly. But um, the challenge of getting better at it and the idea of becoming someone that can help others navigate it is something that I really look forward to. And so uh, it's, in my eyes, the coolest part of sport for me. And uh, it's, I feel, again, <laughs> grateful and fortunate that uh, it's part of what I do. Well, I'll just say this. Um, you're in so much trouble now because, uh, like one of my best friends said to me when we were children, he said, you're in so much trouble, Jay, because now I know where you live. And, <laughs> and um, I, th that, that's one of the most happiest, troubling moments I've ever had in my entire life. And I say this to you now because everything you've shared with me, I'm so taking you hostage. <laughs> you, you have no idea. And, and I'll just say this, you know, one of the things that, that I think is so incredible about you and, and the words you share that, the insight you share that makes you a consummate pro is the fact that a, you know, that there is no end to this journey. There's always a process that's constantly growing, constantly shifting, constantly changing. And, and that is the garden upon which we, we grow these ingredients of mental strength, focus, and the ability to, to roll with the punches and roll with the waves. So to ever think that there's one play, one plan, one scenario, that, that's a fool's choice. And, and, and then you so eloquently sharing that it's a constant growing process, that's brilliant. But, but the second point about you that I think makes you such an incredible pro, an incredible person, is you constantly are displaying the one element that every great, great athlete has in common and it's the level of humbleness that you present it's just like it's like a teddy bear that you want to squeeze when when when, <laughs> when you've been around so many that are like rocks when that one teddy bear that that has this incredible depth and perception to be humble it's like guys like you that you 
you truly are, are going to be the top of the, the list when guys reflect on when their career is done, who and what will they miss the most? You'll be one of the top guys on any team you're a part of. That's for sure. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you saying that seriously. Um, and the idea of that is ultra, like if, uh, if my career ended and, or if other people's career ended and they look back and I was a positive part of that, that as a human being, uh, then that would probably be the most warming feeling <laughs> greater than any result that I've had so far. It's, uh, it's funny. I don't know if it goes like this all the way to the tip top, but, uh, you accomplish, you accomplish your goals and you come home and your animal, like my cats care so rarely about how I did at a race or whether I do well or not. Um, it's just shocking to me and seemingly however I do in any race that I come home from, my mother still loves me. And so, yeah, uh, that stuff, uh, it's cool, but, um, I think having impact on someone else's life for the better is a lot cooler. And so that's what I'm working towards. <laughs> uh, and that's again, like I said, a part of this sport that I really love. Well, it, it, it's incredible what you just said, right? Because again, the nugget that I took out of everything you just said, which once again was so poetic, is the lessons that we could learn from our pets, right? <laughs> if we, if yeah. we just grow to be as caring and consistent as our pets, what an amazing world this would be, right? And I, mean, I so envy how present my cat is able to stay. <laughs> I have okay. two of them and never once have I been able to tell that they're worried about the past or the future, which uh, is enviable. <laughs> yeah. I mean, not, not so long ago, um, my, my little family here, we, we lost our, our, our little, uh, our little dog and this little, little thing. I mean, she, she controlled my heart. It didn't matter if I got home from work at one in the afternoon or one in the morning, I would be able to, to walk in through the garage. And as soon as the door closed, this little face was peering around the corner. And, and she just looked at me and no matter how tough, rough that day went, everything, everything disappeared seeing that little face. And, and she didn't care about, you know, what happened. She didn't care about how it all went down. She just cared about one thing and that's your home. And I'm so happy you're home. And now that you're home, I can relax because I know you're okay. Right? I mean, like, wow. <laughs> to, to live in such simplicity bliss, I mean... Yeah. And you know what? I guess that's what makes it so poetic that, that both you and I are, are working for a group called uh, Team Wildlife Generation, right? <laughs> so with, with that, uh, I share with you, buddy, thank you so much for everything. And, and I really look forward to talking to you soon.